On Tuesday, December 4th, 2012, the Stage Directors and Choreographers Society hosted a panel on women directors and choreographers in Chicago with panelists Rachel Rockwell, Joni Schultz, Kimberly Sr., and Lee Silverman, moderated by Michael Halberstam. Together, the panel and the audience strive to answer the question, how can all of us, our collaborators, theaters, service organizations, support the growth of women as directors and choreographers? Hello, I'm director-choreographer Christopher Gatelli, and you are listening to SDCF Masters of the Stage. This program is produced by the Stage Directors and Choreographers Foundation and presented by the American Theatre Wing. I don't think there's anybody here who thinks that women get a fair shake in this business, yes? What was the appalling statistic you gave me the other day just about, about television, one of our sister uh, art forms? Oh, well, we're doing a, 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 a panel discussion on folks who have sort of one foot in theater and one foot in television. We actually can't find a woman. This is number that so that's shocking, right? Actually, look around you. I think you see the part of the problem here. We decide to do a panel on women in theater, and really only women show up. So what, that, because that doesn't mean anything to men somehow or other? That's a non-man discussion? I, I, I think it's sort of intriguing. Um, well, yeah. Uh, you know what? We would be lucky to be honorary women. Hey, Chase, ladies and gentlemen. So, um, uh, for those of you listening at home, Che Yu just entered the building. I attended an STC roundtable discussion just when STC was starting to initiate conversations here in Chicago. Catherine, where are you? Um, uh, Catherine, I think you were there. We had an initial conversation. and There were six of us, five women, uh, Amy, Anna, yourself, Marla. I realized, I, I really didn't, I had just, I think, um, joined the union at that point. And the, as the conversation evolved, um, really I sort of took a, ver- a back seat to it. I realized um, what a significant problem this was, finding voices for women in the theater, and that actually I was part of the problem. Um, uh, I don't think there was any kind of active uh, misogynist intent on, on my part as an artist. I think I, it just... Um, I was articulating what I knew around me, which is essentially I was hiring people who looked and thought like me. So basically, I had a group of gay white men who were directing plays at my theater. Um, and even though I think I'd made, I'd made a fairly concerted effort to um, diversify my stage, um, uh, I had not thought of women as being a part of that dialogue and certainly not... Well, Kate Buckley directed many shows with Writers' Theatre, but that is one woman over the course of our 15 or 16 years uh, uh, up till that point that um, we'd been engaged with dialoguing, and that's just not acceptable. Um, so I then, out of, as a result of that conversation, I became um, really aggressive about starting to follow the careers of uh, women directors in this town and making sure that dialogues were started so that we could actually, uh, and the result of which has been, you know, I've been coming to Joni's work, I've been coming to Rachel's work, and, and Kimberly uh, just knocked uh, yet another Chicago production out of the ballpark by doing a spectacular job 
uh, with letters at Writers' Theatre. So um, I think part of the answer for, for uh, that we face, uh, or the challenge that we face, is how do we change the institutional thinking? Um, uh, and unfortunately, there are three people, four people in the room who are uh, five or six people in the room, actually, I think, who, who make up part of that institutional thinking right now. Uh, and so I challenge you all to go inside and look at what your own diversity record is in this regard and why actually bringing women into your conversation should even be thought of as a diversity issue. I mean, part of the challenge is, and we started to discuss this the other day, is that it should be a no-brainer, right? Why are we even talking about women directors? Why do we have to have a moniker in front of the, uh, the name director? You don't talk about a man director. I'm looking to hire men directors. In my, it's partly because it's an assumption that already exists. So that leads us nicely into the 40 seconds, and I'm going to really try and take a backward step at this point and hand the conversation over and just try and keep the pot boiling. Caution, I tend to be a little bit of a rough moderator, so if you start burbling, I might come in to try and just sort of prompt the conversation along. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you were going to have fun. So, um, 45 seconds uh, or less. Uh, um, how do you self identify? Oh, God. Yeah. Uh, Oh my gosh, can somebody else start, really? Uh, that, that, that. I identify as a Chicago director. <laughs> now? <laughs> um, yeah, that's a really, it's a really hard question. Okay, fine, I'll go, because I need the question ahead of time. Oh. <laughs> Boo. Boo. Yeah, that's why I turned into Rachel first, and she was like, no! Start. Well, right, I contemplated okay. the idea of putting it out there, but I felt A, it is why you should start, and B, I think it's more fun to train with the spontaneity. And again, I'd love a couple of you to be thinking about this so that we can toss this out sooner rather than later. Yeah. So, Kimberly. Think. So, um, in 40 seconds or less, ways that I identify, and in, in no particular order, although this is the way they're coming to me, are uh, director, American, human, Chicagoan, Jew, mom, teacher, artist, athlete, director, done. Grand. Wow, cool, yeah. Um, mom, uh, director, dancer, chef, um, uh, student of world religions, and uh, somebody who wishes they had time to read more. <laughs> wow. Um, uh, hopefully future mom, um, director, uh, Chicagoan and American. Like I, I consider that to be a big part of my the way I approach the world. I actually do put woman in there. Um, uh, I, I don't educator. Some my big ones. I need some hobbies. That's yeah. what I'm learning. Um, okay. um, I'm, um, director, um, and I think um, I think for me, woman director often gets put in there. Um, always, always something. Uh, yeah. Okay. That's anyway off topic. Okay. Um, woman director. Uh, no, Jew. It's not, off, it's not off topic at all. Um, let's see. Jew, lesbian, New Yorker. Grant. In need of a hobby. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, but I, I don't know faces with names. Are 
I am. That is what oh, I should have done. No, we just Bless you. A bad moderator. Uh, Michael Hofstam, artistic director of Writers Theatre. Kimberly Senior. Rachel Rockwell. Joni Schultz. Lee Silverman. Thank you. <laughs> and now you're on. You have to self identify. Yeah, how do you self identify? I'll give you a minute to think about it if somebody else wants to pop in. Anybody? Bueller, Bueller, yes? Yeah, um, I guess for me, I identify myself as a director, a costume designer, a dancer, uh, a barista, that's how I make my money, um, and as an artist. How many of you think about the notion? Uh, would you, were you about to? I look, you look like you may be about No? Okay, sorry. Uh, would you like to try? Sure. Um, actor, uh, literature aficionado, mm. um, humanist, humanism, mm-hmm. um, some form of feminist, my own personal brand of I think it's interesting that nobody actually, you're the first person to bring up feminist. Is it because feminism is just so naturally a part of who you have to be in order to, uh, pres- do you, have, we, have you moved past that in your own sense of self-identification? Yeah, identification, yeah, it I should be so. a given? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Post-feminist. I mean, I, is it a word that, but we're not, right? I mean, is it yeah. a word that needs to come back into our, into our uh, dialogue because it's been so co-opted um, by... Uh, uh, a sort of misogynist media that started to make it a bad name for a period of time. Do you find that that if you identify as a feminist, that that can actually work counter to the way people perceive you? I think it's definitely a dirty word these days. I think feminist has become something that um, people don't want to call themselves. I mean, we got through third wave feminism, and then and I've noticed because I teach undergraduates at Columbia College that like you sort of bring up women's issues to them, and they're like, oh, Brown. It, that's not an issue. <laughs> Are we past? You know, like like all these things haven't happened, and I think also that's just sort of the blindness of like you haven't gone out there yet. Right. You're still in an educational system where like you're somewhat protected from these things. But I do think if you sort of walk around like I'm a feminist, people look at you like I don't really want to deal with. But there's something about, I mean, and, and being a, a, a teacher certainly, like, brings that up. I think it, I see it more as, instead of being a feminist as, like, I have to put myself out there as that, it's more about being an advocate for for women, and, and I think often for younger women, and being, like, making sure, like, my mother raised me to be in a world where I wouldn't have to call myself a feminist. I feel like if were she sitting here, that would be, like, her response to that thing, and so... To kind of honor that sentiment, I'm there to sort of carry that torch and advance um, the the confidence of younger women to 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 take advantage of their full potential. These are great answers. Um, I think one of the uh, I had a I worked with a, um, an executive director for three years at Writers Theatre called Jen Bielstein, who's now down at the uh, Actors Theatre of Louisville. She's one of the, the greatest women, truly, that I've had the uh, pleasure of, of uh, touching my life. And one of the many things that she, out of the, one of the many things that she taught me 
um, was solution-based thinking. So I think it's really easy for us to take a step into how terrible things are, which they are. I think they are in a parlous state. There's no two ways about that. But I assume that many of you are here because you know that already. So perhaps it would be interesting to push the conversation forward towards some ways that you, as women, address some of the issues that you come up against and how you see your way through it, and, and then perhaps share some thoughts from the, from the House in terms of some of the issues that you face as women. Um, so one I think that's interesting, uh, several, two of you identified and one of you as potentially as a mom, and I know that we talked on the phone the other day about the notion that you sometimes find yourself, then suddenly that becomes an issue when you may be interviewing for jobs. So how is that a conversation that you move through when you start to encounter that in your life? Mom is a, a sort of a stoppage point for why you should be employed. You can, and, and ridiculous that we should be having this conversation, but nevertheless. It actually did, uh, it, it, and it's illegal, but it did come up in a conversation when I was interviewing, interviewing for um, an RD production for a national tour that was Broadway bound. And the man, who's a very nice man, who also has kids, said to me, you know, how are you going to leave your kids? Like, are you going to be able to do this job? How are you going to be able to leave your kids? And I was like, look, if I'm, if I'm, I'm here. So it's really not your problem how I reconcile the decision that I need to make. Um, if I didn't think I could do it, then I wouldn't have my butt in the chair right now. But thanks for checking. I'm good. <laughs> but, and and it, is, it is illegal to ask that kind of... And he didn't mean... You know, he was literally just... It was, it was parent-to-parent concern because he knew that he had a home... Base that would provide what support. What if the mother of his child exactly didn't stay home and stay take home care of with his the kids? kids you know, <laughs> right. and and, it, and yeah, I mean it, it. It definitely. No one ever asks a man. They don't. <laughs> what are you going to do? Is there? I mean, I think about the father of my own children who's never asked that question. Never. My husband's never. out of town in New York working as a sound designer. Sometimes six months out of the year, nobody ever says, "How are you going to leave your kids?" Right. And you go and direct your play down the street. And they're like, "Oh my God, you're going to be you're going to miss bedtime." And you're like, "Yeah, I know. It's thank brutal. God. It's brutal. <laughs> <laughs> bedtime drags on and on. Exactly. There's water. There's an end. Multiple the light on. something that is your greatest responsibility and it just requires more balance and organization. That's all. And it's actually nobody's position to... My response is like, why is it a question? Why is that even a question? That's my... I mean, when I said like, how do you how do you deal with your irritable bowel syndrome when you go to the, you know, to direct a play? Like, it's like, it's a a personal issue that you would expect somebody to have. I don't mean that Michael's irritable bowel syndrome. But then, like anyone's anyone's personal list of things they have going on, which we all have many, right? We can say many, many things, right? How am I going to maintain my ability to be a literature aficionado and go to work every day? Like, I'm sure work interrupts your ability to, like, read as much as you'd like to. And that should have the same import of, like, how I manage my personal time is actually my decision and not yours. So it's a sense of re-education. I mean, yes. when you're in a dialogue with somebody, do you find that you have to be uh, sort of patiently guide them through a notion that this is not an appropriate question, if mm. if if people might be facing this? Yeah, I think I think so. I mean, I'm starting to work with more men that have children who are um, 
I was going to say enlightened, but that's as much of a judgment Mm -hmm. on them as anything, but who, you know, are also striving daily to achieve balance. And, and so, yeah, you, you kind of just have to, to gently get around the subject. And most people that employ me now know me as a mom, as much as a director, they know my son, my son comes to work, you know, he's, incredibly cool human being and he's great to have around um i don't bring him to work often they're like bring jake i'm like no i'm working i need to actually be here and be present <laughs> and that's the other side yeah. of it too it's yeah like, I just, if i was a surgeon you wouldn't be asking me to bring my like hilarious surgery. adorable right, children to right. work. Yeah. <laughs> yeah i mean there's a, there's a time and place for it and it's great but sometimes i don't have time to you know work on beats and get fruit snacks it's just not appropriate but I'm starting to work with more people who like understand the whole package, um, and it's it's been it's good. It's really yeah, good. And I, yeah. I I think I'm also excited to be. I think part of it too is that I don't know that people ask female surgeons how they do their job and have children. Right. This is just my suspicion. I don't know any female surgeons, but that there's a that there's a sense of like because what we do. I mean, if it comes to the ethic of like. While you make plays for a living, like you play pretend for a living, are you going to do that and not raise your children? Where I try to say, like, what I do is about raising my children, and that, like, what I try to actually incorporate the notion of, like, this me being at work is still me being a mom, actually. Well, it's a fundamentally patriarchal question, just because there is an assumption automatically that you don't understand what the challenges of your life are, and you need then a male to ask that question to, how are you going to navigate this complex issue? Well, yeah, and are you going to be late because you have to take your kid to the doctor or to school, or is this going to affect your ability to perform here where we don't... um, and thank goodness I'm here to think of these challenges that you right. clearly have by... But I've never considered that. Right. Right. No, it's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. But that there, I remember being... Uh, I had a stay-at-home mom who is amazing, and I respect and admire her for that, and also respecting and admiring my dad for going to work. Mm-hmm. My dad, who traveled a lot and who was out of town, and I often use that as an example. You know, I spent six weeks out of town this fall, and I was like, oh, how far... You know started her kids and I said I remember my dad coming home with like a suitcase full of goodies and stories of adventure and how much that has also stayed with me in a really marvelous way and to be able to do that um, for my kids is is exciting. I mean I heard my son organizing a bunch of kids and they were making a play and I heard him say well my mom is a director so I have a lot you know and he then suddenly starts like organizing the kids and I like that it it gave him a little bit of extra sense of power and authority totally let's get them in a room together are you thinking of like a director face off that sounds terrible My daughter's there, and she's very happy to boss around with both of them. So it'll be good. I like the. I hope that I'm a role model for people who want to have families mm-hmm. and pursue this business because it's highly doable. It just means that you don't sleep ever. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's really. I didn't sleep before I had kids. I, I didn't really either, actually. Yeah. So maybe it's just uh, maybe it's a personality-driven yeah. thing, but it, you know, it's a it's a great addition to what I already do. I think it's made me more creative as a person. I'm way better at yeah. what I do. Now. Me too. Way better. Yep, absolutely. Any um, moms in the audience who have a similar anecdote that they wish to add to that, or an issue, or a question that you you wish to ask if you're addressing your own family? Going, going, gone. Uh, yes, please. I, I absolutely. I'm in the same boat as, as you all, and I absolutely agree. Being a working 
as uh, and, and also doing our art and supporting our families is it's a big juggling act and you don't sleep much and I think a lot of, sometimes I feel like it also comes down to um, devaluing our art uh, and like waiting how important when people look at what we do as actors directors choreographers waiting the value of that over uh, against the value of motherhood mm -hmm. whereas men who and I don't know this may be a generalization and I apologize for it but maybe men in the industry are not uh, if they're a director or in a, or in a managing director position perhaps that is weighted more uh, valuable if they're doing it but if we're as mothers are being a director people uh, look at it and say yes you're going to play you're uh, i think you being a mother is much more valuable i'm missing the point are you saying men no, are point. no my point is if men are what if men are, are stay-at-home parents that it's it's somehow I, uh, well no i think sometimes if we're in a situation where we're applying for a position a directorship position and they're valuing whether uh, or no i take that back Sometimes when we're in a conversation with individuals who ask what we do, yes, and you're gone every day to direct a show, and and they're saying, oh, okay, you're uh, you value doing the theater, you value doing the arts, oh, I see, over being a mother, but to the common, maybe people not in the industry, they look at our industry, they. They You're saying that there can be a value judgment. Yes, They're saying that for you to come to work and value being in the art over the motherhood. Well, this is a, a yes, and I don't know an age-old challenge, uh, right? Yes, and that's not an just in this business. And I don't know that men maybe face that same. I don't think we do. You know, no, I don't think so. Yeah. I, I was impressed this year. I'm just brand new at um, keeping a human alive, but I uh, <laughs> I was surprised on a, a sort of like I'm really inspired that you guys can do it, and I don't think I've quite found the balance yet. But I, I was surprised at two things. Just you want our business to be the one that is so forward thinking and so wonderful. And I had no place to pump milk and no way to manage breaks properly and that. And I was like, wow, this is so surprising to me. Cause like, yeah. we're in the arts. Oh my God. God. I'm in a bathroom at the Marriott. Yeah. Okay, so like, so there's a magazine yeah. called Working Mother, which my mother subscribed <laughs> me to. And just last night as I was going to bed, it was a hundred top companies to work for being a mother. And I was very proud that many of them are in the Chicago area and in Illinois. Abbott Laboratories, a bunch of other places that I've never heard of, nor am I qualified to work for them. But they have things like, yeah. you know, rooms of pump, napping rooms. Um, I mean, along, along with like fitness memberships and other things that are important to moms. Like, yeah, right. wow, how do I go to work, be a mom, like, and work out, like, and yeah, take care of myself? Issues or, like that, and, uh, and then the issue that I think everybody struggles with, which is, I'm paying more for someone to watch my kid right now. But oh, yeah. how many dirty bathrooms I've sat on the floor of? Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's disgusting. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Absolutely. Which is, so in terms of, <laughs> of, of solution-based thinking, yeah. what needs to happen then is that women need to be more part of the conversation when it comes down, particularly when it comes down to facility planning. So the questions like these that men do not face when you have a group of men in the room who are making these kinds of decisions, they're just not going to stop to think about breast milk. Well, and what I love that Helena's pointing out is that we are like a very forward-thinking industry in many ways, and about the stories that we put on our stage are often a very forward-thinking story, and that the work that we do, yet 
it's amazing to me that these, in looking at this, this hundred corporations that I'm sure are more conservative than the theater and many, many, many other ways are more forward thinking in the way that they structure like leave time and for, I mean, paternity leave too is like a huge thing in this magazine. It's magazine this was... I would call us conveniently liberal. I think we are, as an industry, we are liberal as is convenient only to ourselves in the moment and as we are largely patriarchal, uh, as an industry, white patriarchal, I think we are liberal insofar as it relates to white men. Um, but uh, So I put that out as a, uh, a, a statement for discussion. Uh, I'm not listening, I'm talking. But I hope people will allow me to... There's, I, I'm, a, I'm a mom, uh, you know, to get, it's extremely difficult. In fact, it's virtually impossible. And I'm not a director, but I, I'm uh, an executive director. Um, and it's great, but it's actually only going to get harder. It's easy when they're little. <laughs> It's, okay. it's hard when they're hard when they're sixteen, looking you in the eye, and you know they can make a decision that can completely change the course of their life if you give them the wrong advice. But what I think, what I think is under it, or I ask the question, is that I believe culturally, regardless of whether you're talking about the theater or not, that women working is still perceived as being a choice. Yes. Mm-hmm. That as wage yep. earners, we're not taken seriously. Regardless of whether you're a mom or not a mom or whatever you are, that 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 on some level the notion that women work is still something that is you know, I, that's nice, but you know you don't have you don't have to. I'd love to build on this Laura. In terms of the mom discussion, I think what's sort of interesting is the idea that this is somehow exclusively the, the thought by uh, the industry is the provenance of a woman, as opposed to why that question would come up to you because it is assumed that you are the one in that position, which then, of course, suddenly puts 50-something percent of the population of the planet into a small and ill-defined box. Yeah. But see, people would make different choices about how they did building planning if they actually took women working more seriously, which sort of has to happen. So as opposed to, you know, trying to get people to be more responsive and respectful of working moms, we've got to go... A step further. It's got to, you know, deeper. Yes. It's got to be... I think that's what I was trying to bring up with the notion of, of um, uh, the idea of a liberal convenience that I think we, we have as an industry. Um, we talk about, think about ourselves as, as liberal and, and, and forward thinking, let's say. So I wouldn't want to confine the political perspectives of the people in the room. Um, but in fact, the statistics would suggest an uh, um, opposite to that. So here's a challenge. Let's sort of. Oh, please. Oh, oh, I don't want to belabor the point because I think we've made it clear that, you know, women, mothers working are uh, face a difficult, uh, you know, perception from uh, the rest of the world. But uh, coincidentally, last night, I happened to be having this almost same conversation, and I'm not a mother, but I happened to be talking with other uh, women who were either contemplating having children from a variety of professions. And they were saying the same thing about you know their family planning and what um, and the difficulties they uh, they you know 
assumed that they would uh, come up against. So I don't think that it's you know a um, a problem that is limited to the arts. And I think that Definitely. you know again, um, it's it's a great opportunity for the arts to be that role model to the rest of the country and to the <coughs> culture. Um, it's you know it's just something that we really do have to do because you know you look at Marissa Mayer, CEO of Google. You know she's or Yahoo, it might be Yahoo, but um, you know but she's. She, as the CEO of a major corporation, deals with the same uh, conflicts that, you know, well, I think one of the interesting things that's been brought up is that there are other industries who are actually taking the lead in this, whereas we are not, which I think maybe in some areas we have to catch up as an industry. Let me sort of move the conversation laterally because I think the, the motherhood issue might have run its course yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and it's not necessarily germane to every, uh, everybody in the room. Um, um, what about the issue of how uh, projects come to you um, as women? One of the challenges that I face as an artistic director, so if I'm doing a black play, I probably want a black director, is I feel like there is a justifiable conversation that says do not, um, uh, do not attempt to tell the story unless you have some personal place of um, experience from which you can articulate truth and anecdote. Um, so do you find, however, then, there's a point at which when I'm sitting down for a conversation with Ron O.J. Parson about what he wants to direct in the upcoming season where um, uh, he is pushing to uh, move outside of black experience in terms of the kinds of plays that I'm offering him. And in fact, we did that to splendid effect this last year with a, a Pinter. Um, do you find yourself being confined? How do you find yourself moving the conversation beyond just women's rights issues, or do you think that you have an obligation to some degree to, to tell in a, in a um, misogynist culture uh, uh, women's issue stories, if you believe in fact that we are living in a misogynist culture? Um, and again, I, I, this is not confined to panel, but please let's start with a couple of panelists. Maybe Lee, if you want to jump in on, on that one. Sure. I mean, I think, um, at least in my experience, you guys tell me if it's the same for you, um, people always want to pigeonhole you. Like, they just always want to pigeonhole you. It doesn't matter how. It doesn't matter what it is. It's like, oh, she directed that play about, you know, um, someone's sick mother. And then it's like, I got, like, 14 plays about, like, people and their sick mothers, you know? And then it was like, it, so I think that there's a way in which, like, all the time people are looking to figure out, like, who you are. Okay, she does that. Let's keep her there. Um, and, and I think it's not necessarily, like, malevolent. An, a malevolent in, impulse. It's like, oh, she did that good. Like, let's someone else, you know, let's hire her to do it again. Um, but that there's a that there's just a sense all the time. It's kind of like a lack of imagination mm -hmm. um, on on kind of I would say an industry wide part. And you know, I will say like I just directed my first revival in ten years. Like I've been directing you know any number of plays a year, and they're all new plays and. Um, and it's been only recently that I've had theater say, like, do you want to do Chekhov? You know, and I'm like, yeah. You know, like, but it's, I think it's taken, it's taken a decade um, to do a revival. And I think even that came about because I'm actually directing a new play. Like, it's like, it's like a weird juxtaposition. So it's, it's, I think, for me, it's just about always that need for people to try and confine you. And then our own ability to... Um, just keep doing the work so that there's that there's um, hopefully a, enough diversity as much as you want in your own um, in your own portfolio, and I feel like or your own you know stable of 
projects. But I, I feel like um, it's, it's rough, and I will say that I feel quite lucky to work with um, a number of writers very closely who aren't white, and I feel all the time that when I'm in talkbacks with them and whatever, there will be someone who will be like, why do you think you can direct that play? You know, and... Um, and I can't, I mean, I, I am about to direct my fourth play of David Henry Wong's, and it's like people really feel strongly um, that I must be Chinese, you know, and I'm, I really am not. Um, so, you know, but I think it's like, and I, so I also think that there is a, there's a need for people to want a kind of sense of, um, is there an alienation, alienation factor that you find at any point during the process, a point where you think this is not in my ken? Well, like in Chinglish, like, I don't speak Chinese. So, like, yeah, you know, sure. But in that play, 40% of that play was in Chinese. But it was... Um, then I was like, well, the audience doesn't speak Chinese. You know, like, it's, it's like... That's then exactly it's like it becomes right. part of the fabric of the project to make it work. And so I guess what I feel like isn't... I feel like if the work speaks to me, then it feels like it's going to be universal, and it feels like then it's my job to make right, it speak director, to other people. And as a director, it's like, I, it doesn't need to be my story. Right, it doesn't need to be my story. It needs to be the writer's story. And I need to cast it to tell that story well and to say, great, like it's about this kind of person. Like, let's find the best of that kind of person and let's do it. But I, it's like, I guess, no. Like, I don't feel that I need, I don't know. And I, mean, I want I to like, like, direct Reason in the Sun one day. Yeah. Like, I can I, sit in the audience and be moved by that play. And it's not my experience. But I have the experience of having a family. Yeah. Like that there's, that where, where do we key into that? And, and, and similarly, stories about women, I have not had every experience that every woman has had. Like, so <laughs> yes. that there, that would be challenging for me to, to say that like, that, that all plays by and about women are experiences that I've lived or had that I would be more of an authority. I mean, just in the same way, like you can direct female characters and not be a woman, and I can direct male character. I mean, you can even start there with just even the... But maybe one of the issues, and this is something that Laura brought up, I think, in our our pre-chat, is the idea that when you're living in an unequal culture, that you need to bring uh, a cultural identity to the surface when you're leading conversations, which, therefore, partly the issue I come back to the beginning question about identifying as a woman director. Right, but I think that's different. I mean, the, the playing field is not level. I mean, it's not level at all. So I think it's different like from our point of view in terms of as a director as opposed to do I feel like there are um, there's all kinds of people who don't get hired with the same um, frequency and of all different races and I feel like it is and I think women get hired but like I think African American women I think you know Asian I think there's so many other um, groups of, of women who continue to be as hard as it is like it, it gets harder and harder and harder the more that the race changes and I sorry I just jumped in and interrupted you but I, I guess I feel like so from our point of view like I feel like sure but the but in the bigger picture I feel like the playing field is not level and so do I feel like an African American director should direct African American plays yes but they should also be hired to direct other things and so I do feel like there is there is kind of the, like, what the point of view of the personal director is, but then there's sort of the bigger industry problem, which is that I do feel like when 
um, that, that, that people of um, similar races are matched together because there's a sense of like that's all they can do or that's what they should do or they, you know, this, this African American director should just do the August Wilson plays. We're not necessarily ready then for a panel of white male bitching about their inabilities to be able to direct August Wilson plays. <laughs> no, but I feel that some, that, that's, that's a passionate belief of mm-hmm. some directors. Yeah. Yes, please. Go, go, go here and, and cross. Uh, okay, yes. I like so agree with that. And then there's something else that I've been uh, seeing going on that I also agree with. Because as a, a black female director, um, there are so many stories that I identify with and stories that I want to tell. And <laughs> on a couple of occasions, I've gone in for... <laughs> pitch meetings <laughs> and like pitch some black female stories and you know had these hires go like oh that's a great idea I totally want to do that play and then to take that play and then give it to a white male to direct oh really yeah that's happened a couple of times but um I don't think that those stories are necessarily only stories that I can tell but I would say that a, a couple of times when I saw these stories told I was like you needed some help. Like, I don't think, I love Fiddler. Love it. Would love to direct Fiddler. <laughs> I don't think I would not get any help. I don't think that I would, like, not ask any Jews to make sure that I am getting the Sabbath right. Because I'm not going to put that on stage and not have it be respectful and correct. And I think in the same way that I think that there are opportunities for co-direction and collaboration when we're talking about these stories that we want to be, that we want to tell, that we identify with, that involve another culture other than our own. I think that's where there are opportunities for... Well, one of the, co- yeah, one of the I complaints agree. I know when Bart Shear directed an August Wilson play recently on Broadway, I heard sort of buzzing, somebody said, well, you know the cats really had a lot to do with that production. I'm like, well, I would hope so. I mean, that sounds like he did a great job. I think maybe the issue is more one of opportunity, that there is not a lack of opportunity in this country for white male directors. Totally, and I I agree. And I also feel like what you were just saying, it's like, like the, the, the thing is, is that it's like the thing about like, your idea being taken and given to somebody else like happens all the time, right? Like everybody, it's part of what being a director is, like it's happened to us all, we all have that story, like totally. And also, it will happen more to you. Right. Mm. It will. Yeah. And that is also true. And I think it, it, it sucks. And that's what I mean about the level, like it's not a level playing field. And so it's like, I, I feel like there's, there's sort of this thing. I mean, I... You know, I, just to say one other thing about what you were talking about is that I, like, I feel, I felt like on Chinglish, like, I was fucking scared because I had so many Chinese consultants in there, you would not believe. Like, I was just like, because I didn't want to, you know, and, and we just did this production of Golden Child, and it was like, I was just trying to tell you about this. It was like, I had, like, these people come in, and they did the whole thing, and the, the, the banquet, and this and that, because, like, the Sabbath, I was like... I don't, you know, like, that's not my, that's not my thing. I want to do this. And David was like, God, you know, on the first production of this play, we didn't have anybody, Mm. you know? And it was like, it was so interesting to me because I was like, oh, it's such a different, like, there is that thing, which is like, you have, it, 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 you know, if the, it's, I think you're right in terms of like that impulse being there. 
Joni, you, you've done a lot of uh, uh, revivals, I would say, in Chicago in the last year or last few years, with uh, particularly with a theater company like Red Twist, where you have a nice relationship mm -hmm. going. How would you talk about how those conversations have gone, what your experience has been? Did you encounter any kind of initial resistances that you had to guide the artistic director through in order with to doing the plays that? that I was doing? Ah. Actually, no. I mean, I was. you said that, and I was thinking, I, I've done a lot of really masculine plays. I've done a lot of plays that are just full of men. I've done a lot of plays. I've done some plays that are half in Spanish. I actually don't usually get hired to direct the chick play, which um, I don't, I, you know, it's the pigeonhole thing. Yeah. I think that, you know, there's a certain kind of play I was really good at doing when I first came out of um, school, and people were like, this is what you should keep doing. And there was even an article in Time Out about me, which was mostly like, she's so cute and little. How does she direct these dark masculine plays? <laughs> I mean, it was like horribly offensive. Actually, that was my question. <laughs> I was just translating that for Thank you. Thank um, you. And actually, like, it's it's funny. I, do, I haven't gotten any resistance that way. It was actually the first workshop with the kid thing that I did with Sarah Govins. And she, you know, she and I had done other plays together, and she was like really jazzed on me doing the workshop with this. She's like, but you eventually can't direct it because you're not gay enough. Like, you don't understand the lesbian thing enough. And I almost punched her in the face. And I was like, I might not be, <laughs> I might not be gay, but, like, I know you. I don't know what it's like to be a lesbian, but I know you, like, super well. And I know this play super well. So, um, I think if you're going to run off and ditch me for, for a lesbian, like, go get Lee Silverman. She was like, Lee Silverman should direct this play. And I was like, Lee Silverman isn't here. <laughs> um, and you did an incredible job and it won the Jeff Award I well thank you um, so, so you and I was like and I have you in the room just like you have you have um, David in the room um, like you can tell me all the gay things I don't need to know that you know like, like, if, there's, if there's something I'm, I'm missing don't you tell me that's and right, she that's did right. every step of the way she was like ah oh, that's got to Helena's got to butch that up. I'm like, okay. <laughs> um, so, and, and so I feel like, especially with the playwright there, you have an expert in it. Yeah. We're, I mean, we've, we, it's interesting that we've sort of strayed uh, immediately into a wider diversity question. Maybe if we focus the question back to uh, women in theater and, and ask ourselves more a, a more specific question. Um, how do we how do we address the imbalances that exist? How do we move the conversation forward? What are solution based thinking? If you had um, suggestions that you would make to institutional theaters, hopefully some people will download the podcast and, and listen to these. What what are things that you would like to say to the industry as a whole to women who are starting out in this business uh, in order to be able to start to try and uh, redress some of these imbalances? I was super lucky. I was super lucky because right out of undergrad, I got a job as a receptionist at Steppenwolf and I met Kimberly. And Kimberly was like, young female director, why don't you come here and I will introduce you to people. And had that not happened and had then I not met Anna um, and she, she took me to Northwestern, like had I not had the mentorship and the guidance and the help of all these other women in my life, I don't think I, don't think I would be here on this panel right now if it wasn't for all, all the women who sort of like rallied. And, and that's what I try to do now. I just know that that's. I had the opposite experience. I had no women guiding me at all. I, I can like name the women directors that I worked with as an actor, doesn't even fill up my hand, one hand. Um, 
for me, it wasn't a male-female issue. It was just a, an issue of wanting to be the kind of director that I wasn't getting. You know, so that was where it, it was. It came for me, and now that I am doing this, it it is trying to nurture and mentor, and you know, I have anybody that assists me or works with me. It's like, yeah, trying to mentor young women, but it, it there would there would no there was no one. There were choreographers who were armchair directing a lot, and I, I witnessed that often. I mean, I was like, no, the real. There's, there's, there's a lot of direction coming from this angle. Um, we're just not calling it that. Um, so I, I, didn't, I didn't have that experience, and I had the polar opposite experience. Um, I, did, I was fortunate enough to watch Susan Stroman kind of armchair direct showboat, and I think Hal Prince is amazing, don't get me wrong, I think he's brilliant. Um, but she, I watched her kind of armchair direct that, and it was great to be in the room with her and, and uh, she never apologized for her femininity, but she was really just, she, I, I didn't think about her as being male or female. I just thought she was a really, really good, really good at her job. What would you define uh, as femininity in terms of things that you think people, uh, aspects, character aspects that uh, a woman might feel the need to apologize for was she feeling insecure about herself? Um, nurturing, being really overtly nurturing in a room. I mean, you know, people always, I, attribute that to me being a mom, but it really is just the person that I am. I've always been that person. I just, now I get to focus it on one small person. But um, I think you have to, they, they look at that's a feminine quality and you're nurturing your, um, uh, I, I'm constantly called out on being organized, like that's a specific feminine trait. You know, you're so organized because you're a woman. Like, no, I'm just organized. I, I don't know. Maybe it is, but I don't, I, you know. And It's interesting. Is I would not call either of those traits necessarily masculine or feminine. Is it that you find that those get applied, um, it, that people just try and find applications to say that this is a feminine yes, trait? Yes, I do. So I think just the notion of apologizing for being a woman is just a sort of interesting statement for me in terms of like why you would have to apologize for being but a woman. I think what we were talking about is sort of the reverse, less the positive characteristics, but the negative the well, things. Maybe mean, wearing. You know, the... the but I, I, I want to say one thing about it. I just want to rewind for six seconds. Jump in. Which is about, I also, like Rachel, had very few um, sort of females or males or anybody really ahead of me uh, helping me out or nurturing my career in any way, um, which is why I've been like so, I mean, just adamant about the careers of people who are just younger than me, but that um, the idea of being your own advocate and being able to, to know that you belong somewhere and that you deserve it and, and being able to like send Michael an email and say, I, I've been sitting in your audience for however many years and I want to know you and I want to know what you, where you, what you want to do with your theater and I want to find a way that I can participate and to know that, to trust your ownership of that. I feel like as a teacher, I meet many young men and young women and I do find that men, generalization, on the whole, feel much more confident about asserting themselves in those situations where women, we need to stop waiting to be invited, and that um, it's not—it's not offensive to you that someone's not inviting you. They're not discounting you by not inviting you. It's actually your job to 
to show up and advocate for yourself. And I'm sure every person sitting here, and many of you sitting out here, know the circumstances where you have invited your own participation to great effect and where it has been most welcome. And so I think that I just wanted to rewind to that. No, I'm glad you did, because actually, if I can transition for a second, the, I think, and, and hopefully, I know that setup with a light on stage makes it difficult, but <laughs> please do feel free to participate. Yes, please. It's a generalization. It's a general. No, no, I agree with you. I think I think what you're saying is really relevant, and uh, I, it's a generalization that, um, uh, uh, but I think a true one that I think everybody in the room would probably agree with, and that is that when men are assertive, they are considered strong. It's a sign of strength, and when Decisive. when decisiveness and uh, people, yeah, he's so great, he's so assertive. When women are assertive. Um, the B word usually comes into play right. almost immediately. I, I, I was fascinated during the uh, Clinton-Obama um, uh, primary how much anger and rage there was from people uh, directed towards Hillary, irregardless of their knowledge as to whether uh, of her, her stance on policy or her candidacy. There was a sort of, uh, she's a bitch! I'm like, oh, she is? Did, did you have a bad dinner with her? <laughs> what happened? Tell me about it. And, and I, I, Bill Maher, I remember addressing this, sort of saying this is just a sort of an irrational, emotional response that men sometimes have to, or culture, actually, it's not just men, unfortunately. Um, culture frequently has to assert of women. So how do you navigate that in your lives? I mean, when you're, when you're dealing with, with me, um, and you see my uh, inappropriate response to your strength coming to the table. How do you how do you find yourself responding to that? What kind of tricks do you employ in order to educate me to understand that uh, you are not? I'm not sure to educate. What, what's that? We try to make you feel better. I mean, I'm saying this for general. We yes. don't try to educate you. We try to make you feel better so that we can just. Get the work done. Yeah, yes. because and so that that that's what we do, and that's that's how we progress is by. Yeah. Well, I think that's a question. That I yeah, no, it's a great answer. For you, in terms of like, what is the type of block of self advocacy, and then are there unspoken expectations once you get in the room, and how do you navigate that? I mean, how do you do both? 
Do you find yourself censoring yourself sometimes artistically in those conversations to try and find a different way, as you say, Laura, to put the focus onto the, the art, which is really the reason that we're all there, right? Anybody want to care to address that? Or back to the... Yes, please. Yeah, I think there's a the And then be typed as difficult. Right, right. And then, and we don't want to do that. You know, we want to try to please everyone, or we want to try to say the right thing, or whatever. So, the, I mean, part of the challenge of moving through the system is it's almost like the questions that I'm asking here are such fundamentally core cultural challenges. It's like saying, how do we fix racism? <laughs> I think there's just history. There's so much history involved in all everything that we've talked about so far. I mean, we're, we're little by little by little. Uh, there's a wonderful group of women sitting on the, on the stage here, you know, talking about their work. This wouldn't have happened 50 years ago. But you all spoke about your parents and how your dad went to work and your mom stayed at home. So we're, we're just a generation away from that. You know, we're really, um, I think time is a huge thing, too, you know, for, for that. Patience, time, and, and little by little learning to, to uh, be strong, to say the right things and, and then get in there and show what kind of work we can do. And, I love that. You know. That's really nicely articulated. Nick, you, you were going to say something and then the Well, sort of lady. feeling sort of slightly strange in this conversation, but... Um, <laughs> yeah, shut up. <laughs> uh, because one of the issues that we've been discussing, it, it occurred to me that they are, because we are in, they are, we're at the second or third level of them because we're in this industry. And when speaking as an actor who's just become an artistic director, I am viewed as somebody who can't run a company because I'm an artist. And I think that's just impossible. So you're starting at that level to begin with, and then you're a woman artist as well. You're like, oh, doubly a problem. Because we as an industry are looked at as people as, well, why do you do that? You can't make a living. You to know, begin it's, it's, right. That's also, I mean, right from the start, the fundamental of those things. Um, so, you know, we're pigeonholed in so many different ways Bef just by being in this field. And something that's interesting can come in this conversation about how you manage getting into the room. I feel that mm. every time I go in to speak to anybody. Mm. I'm asking them for money. I'm looked at as an artist. Therefore, I don't know what I'm doing. Uh, therefore, I'm working for nothing. I am... To some degree, things. that's true, though. I mean, true. I have to say, you know, every once in a while, we will get into conversations, and I will look around the room and realize that I've got a room for a very, very, very smart people who <laughs> all went to school to learn to what, you know, and I went to school to learn how to act in plays. Right. So I'm not sure I'm qualified necessarily to have an opinion about this hands, marketing research study. You know, as the, as the, all, all, all the stuff, AAR stuff is all about how actors and theatre professionals are actually the best time managers in the life. Mm -hmm. we, work, we work on deadlines better than anybody else yeah. does. Yeah. Yes, we have the most uncompromising deadline in the world. So, you know, I mean, there are so many skills that we can bring to the table which have been, we have ourselves disregarded for years as part of, of useful as of management. Um, but just saying that, you know, that being an assertive artist can upset anybody. That's interesting. In the, in the corporate world, because they just don't necessarily understand that it's important what you're talking about. Yeah, we, we usually make it sound 
really important because it is to us. Yeah. Yeah. So, I, well, I, I just, I mean, the, it's true of any industry, and there's some people who want to speak, which is why I was hesitant. But that there's a the the sense of if the if someone in another field was as qualified as you are, Nick, they'd be making three times as much money and be 500 times more respected, whatever that means, right? Sure, that's true, and we all we all know that. But that what I meant sort of about the advocacy earlier is this sense of we actually have to stop apologizing, and 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 some of that is female, and some of that is artist. But that, um, I mean, I remember speaking, Aaron Posner, a fantastic director and wonderful guy who, 10 years ago, I sat in a bar with him in Washington, D.C., and I was like, I want your career. How do I get your career? And he was like, just walk into the room because you should have it. And, and, and I, I remember that and really being inspired by that. And, and uh, Martha Levy, who, who is one of my mentors, so I do have a, a mentor in that way, although, you know, she... There's some of you have heard this anecdote before, but the punctuation anecdote where she said to me one day, and Marty, I catch you doing it all the time, um, where I would go up at the end of my sentences, and um, I, I don't know why I was doing it, but I was doing it, and she was like, you're doing that because you're apologizing for yourself, and because you're trying to appear harmless, and because by leaving a question mark at the end of the sentence, you're inviting conversation. It's not, it's not because you are harmless, you're, you're doing that in order to invite conversation, and that's where it comes from. And then a day later, uh, she turns to me and says, why do you keep yelling at me? And I said, well, I'm trying to put exclamation <laughs> I can't do anything right. <laughs> but that there is this sense of, right, is that, is that when women speak with periods at the end of their sentences or exclamation points, that there's a, a sense of that suddenly you're bullying or but that the question marks then become less clear or less, Ownership over what you're saying, so that there is a there's something about that what you bring into the room and knowing you belong there and saying like actually I've earned this position of artistic director and I know this company better and being able and you've done that and you are doing that and so that that is a that sense of ownership which you would do if you were a lawyer and walking into the courtroom which you would do many of you are as educators we walk into the classroom and know we belong there in front of the room. Right, that is no different than walking in to get the job or lead the first day of rehearsal or whatever it is, and just because we love what we do, right? That that's really what the apology is. We shouldn't be penal. I'm so sorry. I love going to work every day. You know, oh, I'm so sorry that today I got to like you know spend an audition. Sorry. I had a board member who took me out for lunch, and you know, we always talk about how much I was loving my job, and about halfway through the lunch, he just looked at me and said, "You bastard." <laughs> but that's that's what it is. Like, sorry, sorry. we chose well. Great, yeah. great board member. Yeah. Um, please. Yeah. Well, to go back to what you were saying, actually. So I just graduated two years ago from the University of Michigan from an undergrad directing program, and we had twelve students from freshman to senior, and nine of them were girls. So I think that in general, the generate my generation coming up. One, you look at college acceptances and you see that there's a huge, huge amount of women that are going to college and that the same majority is happening in the theater world as well. So I think that when talking about more equality, there may be less doors that are open right now to women directors, but there are about to be a lot more women directors kind of banging those doors down. And I think that when we talk about solutions, 
It's about being able to open those doors, but not overcorrecting to the point where someone can say, well, that person got that job because they're, she's a woman and they're trying to be more diverse. That it's still a, a matter of quality and sort of the best person is getting the positions rather than just being a gender issue. Yes, very well said. See, I find the exact opposite. I was the one of two directors who graduated from my program and the only female. So I come from a very different program and uh, and the only opportunities that I was working with another male was as an assistant director. So mm -hmm. I was female assistant to a, a male guest artist and it was such a different experience mm -hmm. uh, than what we've been discussing. Um, and I don't know if it was because it was an academic setting, uh, but I just think it's fascinating that just in our same generation that coming as one and then coming as nine, and I hope to be in this group or community that has more of the nine and less of the one. So that's I think that the students of the theater have been primarily female. I mean, this is also true of my experience some time ago. And uh, that the, uh, the, the number of women working versus the number of women who study it, I think is, is disproportionate. Yeah. You know, that like, if it was that same like nine to three ratio, that those three men all got jobs and then only three women got jobs. Like there were only six jobs, but that three of them went to those three. So that 100% of the men were working and only I do, think, I do think some of this is going to be generational, though, in the same way that gay rights are now becoming such, um, I mean, just as evidenced by the recent election and the shifting tide of uh, perception about gay equality on a national basis. I think it's partly because you've got a generation of kids who just coming out, who just don't see gender equality in that area in terms of sexuality as an issue. So I, I hope you're right, and I hope the conversation shifts to the point where people are being evaluated for the quality of their work. And I certainly wouldn't hire a director exclusively because I think that she or he brings um, a diverse angle to the conversation. It has to be a diverse angle of the conversation and they're great. But I am probably gonna give a bias right now to diversifying my season if I have two artists of equal talent, one of whom brings a conversation to the table that I don't necessarily have on my stage. So I just wanted to modify that thought just a hair. Um, please. There's been kind of an undercurrent through a lot of the comments over the, the last few minutes about, um, you know, characteristics that are seen as feminine or, you know, what, like, the question at the end of the sentence and, and things like that that are, you know, how, just how a woman is perceived and all of that. And that's, this is another area where I feel um, like I'm, I'm disappointed that as an industry we're not further ahead in that because, because the, that's what we do like as a, as theater artists, we we are striving to get past those stereotypes and take a person that's on this page and and not just make them a stereotype, but make them a nuanced, living, breathing person. And it's like we're better at seeing those nuances in these imaginary people than we are in seeing it in each other in real people. You know? Yeah, it's it's disappointing, isn't it? I yeah. would think also with the same in academia. Uh, in terms of what you were just saying, the, the notion that a, you would think that academia would be further along, but I don't see academia as being uh, a place where uh, gender equality is is particularly. I mean, my 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 sister uh, is uh, a gender theorist. Um, um, she actually identifies as Jack. I would call her 
my sister Oni and that it's important for you to know what a, what a vital influence she was on me as a child um, when she challenged um, sexism just fundamentally in my language. Um, and when she um, identified as a gender theorist in, and, and looking at queer studies, um, which was where she was starting, uh, there was a, an enormous question in some of her early programs as to why that would be a path of gender theory. Yeah. It was just a sort of confused response from a, from a male establishment. She has certainly pushed, pushed doors. I think we may be coming to a time. How are we doing? Do we know? I, we can, uh, we're 6.30. Are we supposed to, to, okay, to, to start? Right? We can have some more, if there's some questions or some more statements. We feel like the dialogue is very exciting, yes? I have a question that's separate from what we both think all the same But um, I would love to hear, I'm not sure everyone's educational background, but I would love to hear about your different ways of like working your way from coming out of an undergrad program That's great. and getting to where you are now, because I'm 31 now and very much at this point where I'm like, okay, so how much longer do I get to direct storefront theater? And when Forever. do I get to start, like, <laughs> I mean, because, like, there are, like, all these conversations are super interesting, especially about family and stuff, but, like, I mean, I'm not, you know, making it rain, so I'm not going to have a family anytime soon. <laughs> like, you know, nothing. So um, I would love to hear, like, your each of your journeys and, like, how you got there. Because, <laughs> like, there's, there, there are no breadcrumbs. That's a great I mean? question. Let's try and keep the answers focused just because I wouldn't want to eat up the remaining five minutes, but I do think that's a great question. So let's, Leah, let's go for it. Lee. Lee. Yeah. Well, oh, oh um, well, I will just say that I feel like the, um, I made a very pretty relatively conscious choice where I was like, I can't afford to have a family and do what I do. So I will just say that that is a decision that I made. And um, I, um, anyway, backtracking from there, just because I heard you say that. Um, I, uh, uh, I went to Carnegie Mellon. I was an undergrad director and I spent a lot of time in that program um, ground planning, um, picnic, you know, and I was like, okay, this is great, but I was actually really interested in working with the writers, and I um, applied to the playwriting program and then got accepted, so I was a sort of a joint major between playwriting and directing, which is how I got into doing new plays, and that was kind of my thing, and so even though I wasn't like a great writer, I was a good enough writer, and I learned definitely more about directing while I was a playwright than I ever, I mean, I learned a lot of great things about directing, but it was like how to sit in a room with a writer, how to talk to a writer, all that stuff, and then I moved to New York and I did internship after internship at different theaters and I was really lucky because I was an intern at New York Theater Workshop and um, many, 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 many of the most important people in my life and most fundamental relationships that I've had came out of the time that I was an intern and I answered the phones. Um, and the most incredible people who came through that door um, and, and the opportunities I had to sort of interact with those artists were the people who then became fundamental touchstones in my um, professional life as I went on. And I, um, you know, the thing that I will say is that um, I was extremely, extremely lucky at a young age, a very young age, and the thing that I feel like is, to me, the greatest secret is um, to just stay in it. Because what I feel like is that um, there is 
like the people that I went to school with, um, most of them don't do it anymore. And I think that there is a fundamental reality to feeling like um, it's never gonna happen. Mm -hmm. And the thing is, is like, that is the thing that is always gonna fuel you. And so what I feel like is that, like when I hear you say that, it's just that like, I don't know. I mean, I always, I thought for many years, like I'm gonna go back to grad school, you know, and I'm gonna, cause I, it's not gonna happen, it's not gonna happen, or it's not happening in the way that I want, or it's not happening in this way. And like, I feel like that question is still, like I'm, I'm like, well maybe, I should go back to school, you know, like I, I feel like, you know, there is, that's always the thing, and I feel like that's our lot, is to just like question all the time, and to be totally dissatisfied, and to feel completely panicked, and you know, I think it's kind of what we do. <laughs> Sorry, but um, you know, so, so I will just say that like, I feel like that is, um, you know, figuring out how to like make it sustainable for yourself, so that you can work and keep your cost of living down and have, you know, someone that you love that will give you a lot of emotional support when you get whipped around, you know, by the business. Because I feel like it's, um, I, I just feel like the, so much of the trick is like just figuring out a way to sustain yourself so that you can, you know. See, now that was exactly the kind of answer I was cautioning against in terms of length. <laughs> no, <I'm just> <laughs> But I have to say, it was so thrilling to listen to, I didn't want to interrupt. What do you mean, caution? <laughs> why? <laughs> okay, no, just back why? off. Why? 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 Whoa! Whoa, this is the panel you showed up for! Fisticuffs! Yeah. Battle. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm sort of, I, I guess, I guess, you know, you know me, I'm like sort of the new kid on the block here. I, I joined STC last month um, as a full member. Yay! And, and I mostly direct storefront theater, and we're just going to see how it goes. Um, uh, so, you know, I, I was a receptionist at Steppenwolf and kind of worked my way into doing lots of things there during my three years there, and then I went to graduate school, and I did, I think similarly, like, I, I wasn't an intern, but I was, I was on the low totem pole, and I met everybody who was important to me at Steppenwolf. Um, and, you know, all the relationships I have from there are the things that keep me going, for sure. That was really good. <laughs> she has more to say than I do. No. <laughs> I went to the University of Evansville in Indiana. I was an acting major. Um, I have been directing my whole life, whether I was LOL, actually the director of the pot. I can't separate myself from the way I look at work. It was probably a monumental pain in the ass as an actor. But I have to look, I look at the big picture I always have. Um, I was a choreographer. Um, I think I became an accidental director. People just started hearing what I had to say when they really weren't asking my opinion and then went, oh, maybe she does have something valuable to say. And I, it literally fell into my lap. It, it, it really did. And, and the thing I've noticed in the past you know, eight years or so since I've been really doing this is that I haven't been orchestrating anything. Like it was the first time in my life as a spiritual person that I kind of got out of the way and just wanted to see what would happen. And all those years that I manipulated and tried and wrote letters and knocked on doors, it wasn't happening because I feel like I was just, you know, forcing things and I, I got out of the way and then all of these things started happening. So mine was a very unconventional route in that way. I was so fortunate. I've been in this business since I was seven years old. So I, as, an, as a performer and parents of, or my parents are 
in, in the business too. So I've been around it my whole entire life. Um, but it, it didn't really start happening until I stopped engineering it and then it just happened and I'm amazed by it every day that I get to do this. People pay me for it and I get to actually say what I think now and they want to hear my, <laughs> my opinion. <laughs> you know, that was my dream. Kimberly? Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a combo. I mean, the, the keeping at it, the working at Steppenwolf, and being <laughs> an engineer pretty much sums up my life story. I went to college, uh, I went to Connecticut College, a small private liberal arts college in Connecticut where my parents refused to let me go to Carnegie Mellon or any sort of conservatory because they thought, they said, well, if you really want to be an actor, you need to study sociology and anthropology and do all these things, and I thank them every day for that. Um, and where I, my greatest classes were about ritual and anthropology and learning about other communities and sociology, and uh, which I learned far more than I did in a lot of my acting classes. Uh, so I did that. They had a sort of limited theater program, which meant that I got to do a little bit of everything, which is where I discovered directing. And um, likely, I think I might still collect graduate school applications. Um, you, you never, never know. know. <laughs> <laughs> Although now I vow that I'm going to go back for like zoology right. or like something <laughs> totally, oh, totally yeah. different. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but that there's um, that the I I did I showed up for my internship at Steppenwolf Theater when they did not have a formal internship program and their offices were like shoved into the where the dressing rooms are now in the upstairs theater and I had my suitcase and everything I owned in the back of my car and. They were like, what are you doing here? And I was like, I have an internship. And um, they said, we don't have an internship program. <laughs> I said, but I have an internship. And my dad, who had like some friend who worked at Deloitte and Touche, that gives money to Steppenwolf, had like engineered something through their like director of de then director of development who was out of town for the summer. And, yeah, I mean, and I was like, but I have an internship. <laughs> and, and, um, but what I was going to say is I think that the thing that most marks my career in starting in that moment was this sense of tenacity and uh, not necessarily engineering, but the like, okay, well, you might not have a program, but I come here with a bag of skills and a lot of energy and I, I want to help, so what can I do? And, you know, and the, the, the institution was in a time of flux and I hung around. And after that summer, they started paying me minimum wage to mark, you know, park cars and photocopy programs, because that's what we did in the old days, and um, <laughs> answer the antiquated phone system, and pick ensemble members up from the airport, and I did that, and then they started an education program, and I was hanging around, so I got to start working on programming, and then I got to avenge that day and start an internship program there, and then when I didn't like working there full-time anymore, they were like, well, what do you want to do? And you've been just been hanging around, I mean, you have more institutional memory than like this chair, so, you know, the, the sense of just kind of persisting in that way, but the other thing I did was start a theater company, which Joni also did in mm -hmm. her history, um, theater company called Collaboration Theater Company, which now it feels like it's a Chicago rite of passage to like work there when you're a young artist, and um, that was also a way, because I didn't go to school here, I feel like Chicago's very much a town where if you went to school here, you have an instant community, yeah, and, I, yeah. and I didn't. And so um, coming from the East Coast and not knowing people here, that company was a great way for me to get to know. Or at Steppenwolf, I got to meet exciting people who would then become my mentors. And a lot of my peers there ended up being my collaborators, but that it was really through this company where I, you know, our first show was uh, in the basement of a place called Voltaire, where the same night we opened our very first show, 
the hypocrites, which Elena's the artistic director of, opened their very first show, mm-hmm. and that was like a really special, amazing night of people who like came together. And I remember B being like, "Who's the Sean Grady guy? He's cool." And you know, and now he's one of my dearest friends who I've known for seventeen years or something, whatever it is. So fifteen years. So that there's a sense of of that. Every person you meet, every everywhere you turn, there's like you never know how you're gonna end up. I'm talking to talk. I'm to talk. Michael like to... doesn't come into the story till much later. He's waiting for his introduction. I'd like to thank Joni and Rachel for following directions. <laughs> <laughs> We're sort of out of the box thinkers, Michael. I don't know what to say. <laughs> it, it's true, actually. One of the great privileges of this this hour and a half has been that we have four assertive out-of-the-box thinkers on this stage who are clearly doing so in the trailblazing work that the four of you are are, um, gifting to the American theater scene. And I think we've been really very lucky to be in conversation with you. I think maybe as a a, just a little wrap-up, I'd like to sort of pull us around to where we started from. The first thing I'd like to say is I think you're absolutely right. Educating me is not your responsibility. Um, I need to educate myself. But what, what you don't always realize is that I may not know what I need to hear, and so being assertive is actually a way to make sure that I do hear that. And if, if you're dealing with a me who doesn't listen very well, I, obviously there's not much that's going to happen in that, in that ballpark. But staying power and assertiveness and having the courage and strength of your convictions um, and the ability to stand there and, and say them is really the way that you're, you're going to shift, we're all going to shift the tide of perception uh, in our form. So I'm going to sort of bounce us back to, to things where we started from. What, give us some, maybe 30 seconds, and I will time you on this one, um, in terms of action items that would be the takeaways that you've gathered maybe in yourselves for, for everybody in the room as we move forward. Kimberly, you have to start now. <laughs> Even though I interrupted your biography. I, which I'm still smarting <laughs> over that. Have I shut you down? Uh, yeah. Are you creatively closed? Um, action items for myself. Action plans for yourself, for us, for me, for the theater at large, for people listening to the podcast? Uh, I think to uh, ce- celebrate what's wonderful that makes me a woman and not deny it anymore. We didn't even get to talking about lipstick, which... I think is a really important topic, um, but that but that being able being proud of being a woman and not and not hiding from that anymore. Yet knowing that being tr- trying to not just be a female director and be a director as being something that's also of equal importance to me. Um, and and similar, uh, I think it's about replacing shame with pride. That's what I'm gonna say. That's awesome. Yeah, that, that's a really good answer. Um, I. I'm going to try not to let it frustrate me when reviews talk about my feminine perspective. Because nobody mentions a, a male's masculine perspective in a review. It just doesn't happen. But it happens to, does it happen to all the time. You're like, wow, I was unaware that I was a woman. Thanks for pointing that out. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, it's just my perspective. It's not my feminine perspective. It's my perspective. Um, I just want to hopefully continue to be the change that I want to see and... Um, I don't dwell on my, I don't dwell on my womanness. I just want people to look at me as an artist, and hopefully, um, just doing the work will be inspiring to other people and, and make us all less self-conscious in that regard. And 
about it? Um, I think that, that for me and for a lot of the other young women I know, uh, my big action thing would be to not be afraid to ask for things um, and to be assertive in, in that asking. And, and not to even think of it as asking, but um, the thing Sean Granny taught me was to, to know that when you bring something to a theater company that you're doing them a favor by bringing them the idea, mm -hmm. that you are actually doing something for them that will help them, not that you're asking for something. Um, and, and that's, I taught that to Sean. Just did you? Okay, <laughs> great. Well, it's been handed down now. Um, uh, and, and, and that's true um, for me, not only as an artist, but on the business side. Um, I, I've noticed a lot of women I know, including myself, don't always ask about money or other things, and I think that that's something the union really helps with, and something something I've been really inspired by Kimberly in some of our conversations is going in and saying, and, and what's my fee? <laughs> Gotta earn a living. Yeah, yeah. Um, God, I don't know. I mean, I feel like um, it's our job to just make it about the work, and there's always just so much noise um, whether it's because someone's um, saying you can't do it for whatever reason, whether they write it in the paper or they say it to your face or they say it behind your back. And I think that it's all of our jobs to just make it about the work. And I think that I um, am um, desperate for that. And, um, and I always try and remind myself of it, but I think being in an environment with people who feel so inspiring to me, but I think is, is really a good, a good place to start with that because I think all of it, in a way, is just noise. And that it's like, what can you do to just keep it about the work? That was an extraordinarily eloquent conclusion to a very, very engaging conversation. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to SDCF, Masters of the Stage. This program was made possible by support from Stage Directors and Choreographers Society, the National Labor Union celebrating five decades representing the needs and aspirations of its members, and generous funding from the NEA, the New York State Council on the Arts, and the New York City Department of Cultural Affairs in partnership with the City Council.